So Matthew chapter 5, we're in verses 31 through 37 today. And if, uh, if maybe you've been gone for a few weeks, you're like, wait, why, why are you here? With, with the snow apocalypse we had a couple weeks ago, and we, we canceled service. Uh, I didn't get to preach this passage. And then last week, my oldest son and I were out of town, and I, I just wasn't going to have anyone else uh, uh, talk about divorce, where Jesus talks about this here. So um, we, we kind of went out of order, but we're back into what are the third and fourth illustrations that uh, Jesus gives on whole person righteousness in the kingdom of God. So again, for the context, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters five through seven. Um, in 517, Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets, and I've come to fulfill them. And then in 520, he says, uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not in the kingdom, right? You're not one of God's People. And if, if that sounds impossible to you, that's because humanly speaking, it is impossible, right? We need God to, to bring about this whole person righteousness in us. We need him to give us life. We need him to cause us to be born again. So after verse 20, he gives these six illustrations. Um, and he'll say uh, a phrase similar to, you have heard it said, Right? Or what he's saying is, you've been told it works this way, or you've, you've seen that this is how it works, but I'm telling you, this is actually how it is. This is the righteousness that God has always required. This is, this is the intent. This is what it was always supposed to look like. So Jesus gets to the heart of uh, these issues and these examples here. And, and every time he's, he's telling us, no, this is what God always wanted, uh, but we're so good at misconstruing and, and twisting and manipulating what God has told us so that we can make it fit what we're comfortable with, what, what we like, how we want to live. Uh, but Jesus is showing us through these real life illustrations, examples, uh, what this whole person righteousness looks like, right? how it's actually lived out, not in this simply external way that, that may look good to some people, but, but in a way where, where uh, the internal righteousness, the outer righteousness are, are congruent with one another because they're actually in accord with God's will, nature, and commands, the way we were always meant to live. This is the way of human flourishing. Our truth statement today is this. Jesus teaches that whole person righteousness involves faithfulness in marriage and truthfulness in speech. Pretty simple. Whole person righteousness involves faithfulness in marriage and truthfulness in speech. So let's read the entire passage. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality commits adultery or makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And the oath one, maybe that's not so hard for us, but uh, 
divorce is hard. Uh, talking about lust several weeks ago, that wasn't easy, but, but this is the one that, that, uh, that I was a little nervous about. Uh, and, and I don't know everyone's story. There's, there's we got lots of people watching online. Like I have no idea who's watching online. Um, but I know that the numbers have been pretty consistent in our country for a while now, that, that right around 40% of marriages end in divorce. So I'm pretty confident that every person in here has somehow been impacted by divorce, whether it's your own marriage that ended in divorce or your parents or a sibling uh, or a good friend, coworker, neighbor. Like we've all, we've all, uh, we've been close enough to it to know that there's a lot of pain. Um, someone said that there are a handful of difficulties in life that can be more painful uh, than divorce. And I think that's, that is so true. There's a very short list of, of situations in life that, uh, that probably hurt more than divorce. Uh, I've, I've talked to people my age who's, uh, they grew up, you know, became adults, maybe had a family of their own, and, and then their own parents got divorced. And, and it was just devastating to them as adult children um, even under the best circumstances, there's just great pain. And, and I've just kind of found myself on the verge of tears throughout the last few weeks preparing for this sermon. So uh, I know that everyone here isn't divorced. So I, I've been kind of thinking through uh, this section in, in these categories. I've been thinking about, okay, so what does this mean for people that are not married yet? or maybe don't want to get married? Uh, what does this mean for people that, that are married? What does this mean for people that, that are divorced? We'll, we'll talk through um, all those things. Uh, but again, I, I don't know what, what just hearing Jesus' words here might do to some of you, uh, some of the pain, the thoughts, and the feelings, but I've been praying for whatever this might stir up in you. I've been praying for insecurities that, that might come to the surface that you haven't dealt with in, in years. Uh, maybe questions about why did my spouse leave me or why'd they do that to me? Was there something wrong with me? Or, or maybe questions directed towards God. God, how could you let this happen? Why didn't you, why didn't you protect me from this? Yeah, I've been praying for people that realize that, that they've actually caused a lot of pain. Um, to, to their spouse or, or ex-spouse, this person that they had promised to love and cherish. Uh, I also realize that there might be some people um, that, that you realize you are the one that caused a ton of pain, um, that, that you were selfish and you sinned against your spouse. And wherever we are, we can come to Jesus with whatever's going on. If, if there's ways we know we have sinned, we can run to Christ with that. He carried all our sin to the cross and bore it. And there are hard teachings in Scripture like this one, right? There, there are hard teachings where, where we love to just kind of gloss over them, to maybe ignore them, but we want to understand what Jesus is saying. We want to live by what he is teaching. We need him to transform us through his word daily. And I do want you to remember that this passage is actually more about whole person righteousness than it is about divorce, right? Marriage divorce is the illustration that he's using here to teach us, but, but let's not get lost in the details um, that, that we miss that this is about righteousness. So when you first read these, these two verses, verses 31 and 32, at first glance, 
it might seem like the woman is getting blamed, that the wife is getting blamed uh, for this divorce. Right? If, if she gets divorced and remarried, she's committing adultery. But if we read it carefully, I, I think we see the opposite. Right? Jesus says that, that he makes her commit adultery. This is clearly directed at men divorcing uh, these women. And by divorcing them, the, the man, the, the former husband is making them commit adultery. Well, how is he doing that? Right? How, how does him divorcing her make her commit adultery? Well, today, a couple could get divorced and uh, now the ex-wife could go on the rest of her life and she could choose to never be married and, and, and totally survive, right? Have plenty of money, everything that she needs, but not so possible back then. Maybe incredibly, in incredibly rare circumstances, but women were quite vulnerable in that society. They needed a husband. Being married meant that they had someone who protected them, who provided for them. So a divorced woman would almost certainly need to get married in order to survive in that day. And so Jesus is saying that, that you, by divorcing her, you are, you are making her get remarried. You are causing her, what he says is to commit adultery. Now Jesus does give grounds for, uh, permissible grounds for divorce here. He says sexual unfaithfulness. And we're not gonna cover like every biblical reason for divorce, but here Jesus gives us one. Um, Paul also gives one in 1 Corinthians seven fifteen. He says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, uh, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So Paul here, he says that in such cases, as a, uh, as a spouse abandoning their, their husband, their wife, whatever it is, um, this would actually also be a, a reason for divorce. And there are scholars that, that look at, at this and, and they, they look and wonder and think like, okay, so when it says in such cases, it, it seems like that may be talking about more than only abandonment. Um, this sermon isn't about that. Like I'm not gonna get into all of that, but I think that that is possible. So one possible example, um, I think, is abuse. That that, that w could be a case where um, where this is a, a partner uh, abandoning their their marriage covenant that they have made. Um, but let me say this: divorce is serious. Okay, D divorce is serious, and we'll get into why it's serious in a bit. But you do not take divorce lightly. Our culture does. Right, our culture, uh, we have no fault divorce. You can get out for any reason, but divorce is serious. It's painful. It has massive ramifications. Even when there's no kids involved, um, e even, when, even when the kids are adults, like if my parents called me this week and, and said, Greg, um, you know, we have tried for decades now, but we just can't do it anymore. We are getting divorced. I'd be devastated. Like, this isn't even close to true, and it's like, make me tear up. I would be devastated. I'm a grown man, and my parents splitting up now would uh, rock my world. Um, it's by God's design that, that divorce is messy, and, and it's painful. Uh, I once heard someone say that divorce, it should be like getting an arm amputated. Right? You would only let a doctor take off your arm if it was absolutely necessary. I mean, like, like you need, in order to, to save your life, that's, that's what you have to do. Uh, but today, 
we get divorced for, for way less than that. And, and if, you, um, if you're married and, and you get to a place uh, someday where, where you think divorce is the best option, I beg of you and I, I plead with you to go to the leadership in your church, whether it's this one or wherever you are at that point, go to them and, and, and ask for help. And be committed to really try to save your marriage. Ask them for, for wisdom, advice. Maybe you need counseling. I don't know. But, but do not just cut it off, right? Don't just amputate. We do everything that we can to save a marriage, just like you do everything you can to save your arm. So in Matthew 5 here, in these two little verses, um, it's interesting that Jesus, I mean, doesn't spend much time here. And you go through the Sermon on the Mount, and um, the themes in the Sermon on the Mount, they're all over the place in Matthew. But, but in Matthew 19, uh, Jesus unpacks divorce a, a lot more. I think probably more than any other um, spot. Uh, in, in, in verse 3, if you want to turn to Matthew 19, verse 3. Um, so the Pharisees come up to him. They're, they're trying to, to trap him, to test him. It says this, 19.3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus takes them back to the beginning, right? Let's, let's get back to the origin of marriage. God made them male and female, which is something we have to be clear about today. And he takes them to Genesis 2, 24, says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and holdship. This, this, this relationship is stronger even than parent-child, Right? And that's, if you're a parent, that's hard to imagine. But, but you see here that in order to get married, the, the son or the daughter has to leave in, in order to be married to their spouse. Jesus goes on to say that marriage is God joining the husband and wife together. Right? This is an action that God is doing. And I'm not saying just in Christian marriages. Right? In, in all marriages, God is, is doing something here that, that binds these people together, this man and this woman, in this one flesh union. He says, Don't, do not take apart, do not separate what God has brought together. And again, I think amputation imagery is really helpful here. Divorce is a big, big deal. And yet in many societies, including ours, it's been made easy. And it appears that in the ancient Near East that divorce was rampant. Um, continue on in verse 7. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? So they're, they're referencing back to what we see in Deuteronomy 24. Um, uh, it says, when a, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and, and basically sends her on her way. Right? Moses permitted this, right? and, and uh, they, 
they saw the phrase, some indecency, right? The man finds some indecency in his wife, and, and now he's able to write her a certificate of divorce. So, so they wanted to figure out, okay, what's this, what's some indecency, right? And it means something around like shame, nakedness, but it's, it's not very clear. So rabbis were, were, were trying to figure this out and established a, a list of legitimate reasons to divorce. And, and it, it, uh, it, this is in the oral law. Eventually it was, it was written down and collected, but it was like this, this kind of living document, this evolving document, the Mishnah. So here are, here are some of the reasons listed. Um, if the woman was barren, you could divorce her. If she was mute, you could divorce her. If her husband considered her lazy, you could divorce her. If her head was turnip-shaped, I'm not joking, you could divorce her. If uh, she had poor posture, you could divorce her. If she had no eyebrows, you could divorce her. If she had one eyebrow, which I don't know if that means that one's like burnt away, or if it's unibrow, you could divorce her. Um, if she had a pug nose, if her eyes were too high or too low, if we're if her eyes were as big as a calf or small as a goose, you could divorce her. If she was missing teeth, if she had bony ankles or knees, you could divorce her. If she suffered from swelling of the big toe, which sounds really painful, you could divorce her. If she was ambidextrous, which that one I don't, I don't get any of them, but that one I really don't get because that'd be kind of cool if your wife could throw with right hand or left. Um, if she burned supper, he could divorce her, right? And the, the list goes on and on and on. But men were out of control. Wives were disposable. And, and women were the ones that they were being harmed by this divorce for any reason view. In a society where women truly needed the protection of uh, a husband, the provision of a husband, right? It, it would not be safe for, for her to be on her own. And certainly if she had kids, it would not be safe. They would all be vulnerable. So here, these men are just kicking women to the curb because, you know, they have bony ankles. And she's like, this is not righteous, right? This does not reflect the righteousness of my kingdom. Continuing in Matthew 19, verse 8, Jesus responds to their question about Moses and the certificate of divorce. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So again, Jesus, as he always does, he's so good at taking us to the heart of the issue. And we see that through all six of these illustrations here in this section of the sermon. The heart, or there's a heart issue here that's underlying the instruction, right? God never intended divorce. Moses only allowed for divorce because of the hardness of their hearts. It was never God's intent. And God did not like the breaking of marriage vows. Matthew, or not Matthew, Malachi 2.16. God says, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, he covers his garment with violence. Right? This, is, this is what God says about divorce. He, he calls this divorce, it's, it's violence. Right? When divorce happens, it's this ripping apart of this one flesh union that, that God has brought together. So no wonder it hurts so bad. The husband was supposed to be the protector. And here husbands, instead of being faithful, instead of sacrificing, they're thinking only of themselves. And these men, 
that had justified divorce for really any reason, it, it was a total affront to God. They treated their brides as disposable. Right? Any minute, you, you just get rid of your wife and go and get a new one. So imagine hearing Jesus speak these words in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 19. Right? A woman sitting there, like knowing that, that if, if she burns dinner tonight, this could be the last straw. Or, or if, if he doesn't find me attractive anymore, he, he, could, he could just be done with me. And, and then men hear this, and they hear uh, about a husband who is faithful. They hear uh, about a husband that is righteous. They hear about a husband that will not use their wife, but will protect her. A husband that is steadfast in his commitment to her, a husband that can be trusted, a husband that actually reflects Yahweh, right? this God who's made a covenant with us, like the covenant of marriage, this God that is steadfast, he's faithful in his love, a God that will never leave you or forsake you, not because you're great, but because he is who he is, and he's chosen to lavish his love on you. So your marriage matters because it points to the greater marriage. It points to the faithful bridegroom, Jesus, who loves his church, even when his bride isn't faithful. I mean, think about the story of Hosea. I think the men's Bible study, you guys were just in Hosea recently, but God pursues us, right? Because he loves us. He redeems us, even in our adulterous state. He cares for us. He forgives us. He, he heals us. He, he lavishes us with his love. All right, this, this is why our marriages matter, because our marriages point to God, to the faithfulness of God, who doesn't treat us as we deserve, but he treats us, his bride, the church, like his precious bride. So this is why Paul tells husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Die for her. Right? Lay down your life for her. Because in a marriage where there's sacrifice, where there's service, where there's reconciliation and faithfulness to the covenant, right? Even, even if the other person in the marriage is unfaithful, it tells the story of our God. It tells the story of a God who's come to redeem his people at, at great, great cost. Whole person righteousness treats marriage with great honor and respect. It takes the covenant of marriage seriously because we recognize that it points others, including your own spouse, to the faithful God. So for those who aren't married, maybe you want to get married, maybe, maybe you don't have that desire. But, but if marriage is something that you want, you need to take marriage seriously now, even though you're not married yet, and trust in the Lord. And if uh, you're interested in someone currently or someday will be, or you're dating or engaged, and, and this person that, that you're spending all this time with, this person that your heart's grown more and more attached to, if you realize that they're not so serious about this covenant of marriage that, that tells the story of our Savior's faithfulness, then you need to get out of there. Right? You need to hit the eject button. You need to not settle and trust in the Lord's timing. I'd also say uh, to people that are, are single, actually to everyone, uh, we need to not buy into uh, culture's myth that sexual intimacy can be casual. 
right? If after the service here, I went up and, and shook someone's hand, we know that that means something, especially in COVID life, like you don't shake hands as much, right? Or if, or if someone came up to me and, and stuck their hand out and I grabbed their hand and pulled them in for a hug, like that, that means something, right? These little physical actions mean something. Don't tell me that sexual intimacy can mean nothing. It cannot because God has not made it that way. Anything less than God's design for sexual intimacy in the covenant of marriage is a total lie. Do not fall for it. For those who are married, take marriage seriously. Don't be lazy. Don't mail it in. Invest in your marriage. Your marriage, like I said, is a testimony to others, including your own spouse. Marriage is not something in life that, that, we, that we can just hit cruise control on. Marriage, uh, a good marriage takes a lot of hard work. And, and yes, there will be seasons where it's easy, right? And, and man, I pray those seasons are long. Uh, but, but a good marriage takes concentrated effort and attention. Uh, you think about it, right? We're, we're bringing two sinners together, right? Does that sound like a good plan? <laughs> no, like marriage is stinking hard as, as these two sinners become one flesh. There is pain. You will hurt each other. This person that's supposed to care for you more than anyone else, man, you will wound each other severely. And we recognize that, that God is doing a good work, though, in this difficulty of marriage. Marriage is the great refiner. Again, two sinners coming together. This is a recipe if we'll let God to, to, uh, to refine us. It's, it's a great way to be refined. And remember, the goal of your marriage is to bring God glory. So what if, um, what if you're divorced? Again, I, I'm so sorry for the pain um, that you have been through. And maybe, that's, maybe it's a long time ago. Maybe you're totally over it. I don't know. I, there, there's someone in my life right now that's going through a divorce. It's been a couple of years. And I'm just, I just catch like barely bits of the shrapnel of his pain. And it just, it's eating me up. So I, I know a divorce leaves leave scars. And, and, and maybe, maybe your scars have totally healed, but maybe not. I wonder if you have pain still from, from a marriage that ended in divorce, have you come to Jesus with those wounds? And maybe these are wounds inflicted by your ex, or maybe some of your wounds are self-inflicted. But have you come to Jesus with that pain? Have you come to him with unanswered questions that you might have, or maybe, maybe unspoken questions, questions that you can't even say out loud because they hurt so bad? Have you come to God with any guilt that you're carrying? And perhaps, again, I don't, I don't know everyone's story, but, but maybe bailed on your marriage way too soon. Maybe you didn't really take marriage all that seriously, or by the time you did, it was just kind of too late. Or maybe you caused your ex great harm. Maybe you were selfish in your marriage. You, you sinned against them. Man, if there's anything that you haven't confessed to Christ, bring it to him. I remind you of the words of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This last one might be the scariest for some. Um, maybe you're remarried and maybe you had total biblical grounds for divorce, 
right, um, in your previous marriage. But now you read Jesus' words. You see what he says about getting remarried, being adultery. What am I supposed to do now? Um, there is so much that's complicated about this issue, but, but there's a part here that is not complicated. Stay married, right? You, you be faithful, right? Even if your marriage started out for totally sinful reasons, I'm not saying they did, but even if that was the case, you now are in this marriage that God has brought together, and what you do is you honor him. He's united man and woman. You honor him in that marriage. You point to God's faithfulness. So in your marriage, you honor Christ as Lord. There are dozens of things that I could have talked about in this today. Some of you might really want me to talk about some of those things. I'm actually done now with that section. So if if there's something that you're just dying to know, dying to talk about, if I said something like, what did you mean by this? Please come talk to me later, but we're gonna keep moving on here. Verse 33, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil, right? So he's saying, he's talking about making oaths, swearing as a way to actually like get out of what you promised you would do. Um, so they, they wouldn't follow through. They, they'd make this promise, this oath, and get out on this tiny little loophole, this technicality. They would, they would swear on the gold of the temple, but not the temple itself. Or they would swear on the offering, but not on the altar, right? It's like the equivalent to a kid saying that they promised to do something, and all the while, their fingers are crossed behind their back because that's the loophole legally to get you out of anything. So Jesus, he's not here permitting um, or prohibiting, I should say, uh, people taking oaths. Some have taken, it, uh, taken him to mean that. The, the issue here is kind of simple. It's be a person of your word. And, and, and we probably could spend a whole sermon talking about this. We do not have time for that today. But he's saying, do what you say you're going to do. If you say yes, then let it be yes. If you say no, then, then let it be no. Do not go back on your word. And again, why does this matter? Well, it matters, it matters because our God is truth. Right? His word matters. Scripture is the very word of God. Jesus is called the word. God is, our God is a speaking God. He created by speaking. God, I'm, I'm in the Old Testament right now. God, God speaks both blessings and curses. God initiates covenants by speaking. We look at Jesus in the New Testament. Through his speech, he heals people. He, he raises people from the dead. He forgives sin. Man, God's word is true. So we need to be a people that speak truthfully. Right? We don't want anyone to associate lying with Yahweh. So as his people, right, the, this whole person righteousness applies to our speech. Uh, being righteous in our speech, it simply means do what you say you will do, even if it costs you, even if a better offer comes along. Be a person of your word because our Father is the one who keeps his word. He keeps every promise. Right? Not a word spoken by God is false. Right? Every promise he has made will come true. We can bank on the faithfulness of our God. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we, uh, we love you, Lord. Um, God, we want to be a people that live for your glory, God, in everything. As we've been going through these illustrations, God, we, we want that in our speech. We want that in marriage, Lord. God, I, I recognize that, um, that there might be hard things for some people right now in the room today. That just, this just stirred up stuff. Maybe for a lot of people, it's nothing. But, but I just think of some brothers and sisters that, that maybe are in pain right now. God, would you, would you move in their heart in such a way that they would trust you with this, Lord, with whatever's going on. And maybe it doesn't even have anything to do with, with this passage. But God, would we trust you with, with every part of who we are, Jesus? We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.